Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Hello again, church. We have, um, we have some work to do. We have to get our heads around a couple of concepts, and it's going to be a bit difficult because every culture has hurdles that it has to get past before it really gets Jesus. And those are different hurdles for different people. This last week, a very, very high-ranking member of a worldwide denomination spoke uh, that the first line in the Lord's Prayer is problematic because it refers to a father. And they wanted to find a way to refer to God without using the word father. And I, um, I immediately did the reflex on that one, you know, going, oh, oh, go on, go on. I do understand, however, that a lot of folk had bad fathers. A lot of folk had no fathers. And so when we say father, it may resonate different with them than we really want it to. I don't think abandoning the term is what we want to do. I think what we want to do is redeem the term. We want to show what the word means and why it's a comfort and not an attack or a triggering phrase. And there's another one that I don't think it triggers people in the United States so much as it's almost ignored. And that is the word king. You know, we, we do love our freedom here, as people do in democracies all over the world. And democracies are, are more and more countries are democracies uh, over the years. They can cast a meaningful vote. And the idea of, um, of a king seems to be rather a relic. In some places, they are definitely relics. And they're, they're more like tourist attractions than anything else. And you're devoid of power. But that's not the kind of king we're talking about with Jesus. We have a real king who cannot be outvoted, who cannot be outmaneuvered, who cannot, like King John of England, be surrounded by his nobles and their swords and therefore have to sign the Magna Carta. No, you can't force our king to do anything because he truly is king. And here's the thing. We rarely use the word king but we use other words for it all the time. For example, Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ, Christos, means Messiah in the Hebrew. It, both of them mean the anointed one. And who does one anoint? The king. The one with the power. And then Jesus is not shy about this at all. When he looks at his apostles and says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. He didn't say, given to some books some of you will later read. He didn't say, uh, rather, right. He didn't say, given to us. He didn't say, given to a convocation that will meet twice a year except on leaving. He didn't do that. He said, me. King. When we say Christ Jesus is Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One. We are saying Jesus is King. 
And it's rather ironic that personally, one of my favorite names when I see on churches is Christ the King. And I'll have Christ the King this, that. But I know what they're saying is King the King. But they don't know they're saying King the King. They believe Christ is another name for Jesus. And we've got to get past that hurdle. That's one of them. And know what we are saying. And then the second, we've got to understand what this means. While being good and going to, to heaven is important, and therefore what must I do to be saved is a very important question. It's only important because there is a king who has upended this world, changed the universe, and laid out what is acceptable behavior. And that king does not waver. Over and over in the Gospels, we are asked a very important question. Although really, we're not asked it. We get to witness people being asked it. Who is this man? Who is this man? Jesus even turns to his apostles and says, who do people say I am? And they come up with a bunch of pretty good responses, actually, if you know your Old Testament. Uh, all of them complimentary. And then he says, who do you say I am? Now, for most of us in a room, asked that by Jesus, we would freeze up immediately because you'll, we always, the way we were raised, we think everything's a trick question. Peter, however, doesn't have a let's think about this gene. He doesn't have that in his behavioral bucket. So immediately he blurts out, well, you're, you're, you're the Christ. So you're the son of God. And Jesus goes, you know, he doesn't say nailed it, but he, that's what he means. Yes, that's it. And then says, now because of this. And then he lays out kingdom rules. And far too often we look at Peter's confession. We, and even confession is the wrong word there. Confession and profession are the same word. And he's professing his faith. But regardless, we, get, we look at that. And then we forget to look at the rest of it. Where he says, and as a king, here we go. And lays it out. He, he lays it out nowhere as clear as he does in Matthew at great length in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And shorter length, but kind of punchier, frankly, in Luke 6. It's the same layout, just in different words to different audiences. One's on a mount, one's on a level place. Uh, and it, it's fascinating. Over and over we're asked, who is this man? And your answer to that question decides everything. It determines everything. Your answer to that question will matter a hundred billion years from today. Your answer has a lot to do with what happens over the next hundred billion years to you. And it's not a threat. In fact, it's an open, wide invitation to run to the king and acknowledge who he is. It's hard for us to bow to people. And in some uh, cultures, bowing is a normal greeting. And I, I never know when and where and how. You know, um, I always just want to get right back at you. I don't know what to say in these things because I was not raised in a bowing culture. But it's done that way, not as subservient, but as a way to show respect to each other. And how deep you, you know, and, you know, if they're elderly or if they... Uh, they're your boss or the boss's boss, then you bow a little bit longer. You know, um, there are all these different rules. Well, Jesus isn't asking us to bow to anyone but him. And in fact, he says, bow to him. 
just to let you know, the Bible isn't hiding this. We just don't see it because we don't understand what Christ and Messiah meant. So what I want to do is just walk through Acts real quick here. And the notes are always in the first description box of the video. So you have those because of wonderful people like uh, our, our own uh, Jaime over here. We've, we've got this in Spanish. We, we get them in other languages when we can. So you can download those. We don't copyright anything. So you can download those. Have a look at this. Acts 5 and verse 42 Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Reread this, we think that is a fact. We have understood the fact. We shall now move on. No, no, don't do that. In Acts 5, they were in Palestine. They were in Israel, Judea, and they were under the lordship of Rome. And everywhere you turned, on the side of buildings, on poles with big banners, on uh, the banners of the military units coming by, on every contract you would sign, it said, Caesar is Lord. It said, Caesar is King. Caesar is God. And these people are not hiding. Day after day, in the temple courts, which is where people met, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the king. This is an act of rebellion. How much an act of rebellion? I hear you cry. Well, if you read chapters 4 and 5, you find out that Peter and John were hauled before the Supreme Court of their day. And the Supreme Court of their day charged them, you will not speak in this man's name any longer. And Peter, it's always Peter, looks back at him and says, well, whether it's better to listen to God or to you, we'll let you decide, but we will never stop speaking in this name. I like Peter. Hanging out with Peter would have been dangerous, frankly. Saying something like that at the high court, he's not going to get nice little interview jobs on the major news networks. But they're not done. And, and by the way, this is not an inclusive list. I'm just popping through uh, Acts chapter 8. Verses 4 through 5. Those who had been scattered. Those who had been scattered. Persecution is rolling at the Christians. They're on the run. Best keep this on the down low. Best not be speaking to anybody. Let's No, no. <laughs> those being scattered preached. Have you, have you ever let that hit you? They're on the run from persecution. Where are you guys going? We got the, we're being persecuted. We're on the run. By the way, have you heard the king is here? They weren't stopping. It, it, it's just amazing. Uh, wherever they went. And so Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Samaria. Who goes to Samaria? Not a faithful Jew. I'll tell you that. Because Jews and Samaritans had an absolute hate fest going on for centuries. But Philip, on the run from persecution... <laughs> runs into Samaria, and what does he say? Proclaimed the Messiah there. Why didn't he say king? Because Samaritans also spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, therefore you say it in that language. On the run, no matter what neighborhood you're driven into, they are telling the king, the king, the king. Oh, we're not done. Uh, just one more chapter over. Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at a few more passages, but this particular is just one chapter over. 9, verse 22. Um, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful 
and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah, by proving that Jesus is the king. Now that was just, and by the way, they really liked him over, they, they appreciated that so much, they stoned him and left him for dead. You know, this is, um, he had to escape by people lowering over the wall in a basket. And it's one of those things, just remember, we don't know the names of the people who owned the basket or who tied the rope or who held the rope. Just reminding you, heroes aren't often named in scripture or in history. You can be a hero without being famous. Just stay up, do your part, proclaim the king. Um, Acts 17, one of my favorite chapters in Acts. I like it when Paul goes amongst the pagans and um, lets them know, hey, you know, God's not far from any of you. Which is, which is not what I would have thought. I would have thought, man, you guys are so far from God. You got a lot of work to do before you get your Bible 101 certificate. But Paul stands up and goes, you're, you're close. But Thessalonica, or Thessalonia, as most Christians call it, um, chapter 17, verses we'll do 2 and 3. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days... He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the king, Messiah, had to suffer and raise, rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And I got everybody so happy, they got a mob and went after them, going house to house, searching and dragging out believers. So that probably quieted them down. I hear you cry. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Acts 18 Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came, Silas, is that back in here too? Yeah. Um, in verse 5 of 17, they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the mob. So did he quiet down? Nope. 18.5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Do you think we have missed something here by just going, okay, and moving on, rather than hearing the word and understanding the concept, king? The gospel is not best encapsulated in the phrases, Jesus is my friend, he is my savior. It is best encapsulated with, he is my king. Now, can he be your friend and your savior too? Yes. This is not going to apply to a lot of people who didn't go to church camps or who had better church camps with better music or who um, aren't church people or aren't Americans because I don't know that this traveled well. There, there were songs that you could sing at youth rallies, gathering of young people who are believers and who others that you hope will believe, youth rallies uh, that you couldn't sing in real church because if you did, you'd get in trouble. You know, there's clapping and waving and moving and hugging. There was hugging. And one of the songs that always, as soon as they started it, I went, oh no, oh no, there's going to be contact now. And, and who am I standing beside? I should, have, I should have taken more care. And it would be Jesus is a friend, there's a friend next to you, Jesus is a friend, let's sing along. You know this song? You know, do you feel the horror? The horror is coming. Then they, uh, because youth ministers are always trying to be current and light, they kept adding stuff you know, give a high five to the person next to you. And that, that, was, that was enough for me. I was done. And then they'd say, give a hug to the person next to you. Now, if you had not strategically placed yourself behind, beside pretty people you wish you could have hugged in other areas, but now you have permission from the representative of God, 
But no, you're beside two sweaty boys like you. This was not a good song. And every now and then I think back to that song and go, you know, it was fun to have fun. And I'm glad kids have fun. But I wish somebody had explained to me he is king. Because when he is friend, I don't take him as seriously. When he's my savior, I get all excited. When he's my judge, I get a little frightened. But if he's my king, kings have a duty to the populace. And a populace has a duty to the king. In other words, there are going to be guardrails on your life, Patrick. Christ, who is the king. And that's what he said. And I told you we're going to read this a lot during this series because I, I want it to bring chills to you as it brings chills to me every single time I read it. When he walks into the synagogue in Luke 4 and he's handed the scroll and he reads and he sits down and the scripture says, every eye in the place is on him. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, get it? To proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and he looks at them and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. I got chills again. I don't know when they'll stop. I hope they don't. But I'll tell you this. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to give you a direct challenge. Write this down on a card, on your notes, on your phone, somehow where it pops up, where you see it every day. And before you leave your house, or if you work from home, before you turn on your devices, whatever you do, you read this as your orders for the day. My orders for today are to proclaim good news to poor people. It's to proclaim freedom for prisoners. It's to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. My orders for today are to set oppressed people free and to proclaim my king. See what it does. By the way, this only works if you do it for at least 21 days. We know this. We know brain mapping that it takes 21 days to 30 days to form a new habit or to break an old. And it takes, you've got to do it every day. So... If you miss a day, what do you do? Just like alcoholics, you start day one. You don't give up. And you don't beat yourself up. You just start again. And eventually, it'll become what you do when you get frustrated in a store, when you get frustrated with, a system, with uh, the system, whatever system you're facing. And you remember what you're here to do. And then you remember, even while being persecuted and scattered, what were they doing? Saying, we got a king, people. You might want to run with us. Military people have a dark sense of humor. My son had t-shirts when he was in the military that I really won't go into in any depth here. But one of my favorite ones I saw, and again, very dark, uh, was not worn by him because he wasn't in EOD. EOD, are the, uh, that's the bomb squad, explosive ordnance disposal. And on the front, it said, well, actually on the back, it said, I'm EOD. If you see me running, try to keep up. That was good advice, actually. That was really good advice. Well, these people are running around saying, we're being persecuted and chased. Join us. Because we, we have a king. Let us tell you about the king. 
Matthew Bates wrote a really good little book called Why the Gospel. You might want to get that. In it, here's, here's a quote. God's prophets announced that the Messiah's reign would be marvelous, bringing justice, peace, safety, prosperity, and blessing. In short, the Messiah's reign and governance would be incomparable. In fact, the Messiah's reign would have universal significance, reaching outsiders to the Gentile nations. The Messiah would be a Jewish king of such tremendous international stature that his rule would ultimately benefit the nations. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew Bates. Well, that brings us back to a declaration that Jesus makes in Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12. You're given a warning, which is also a promise. If you bow to this king, you will make enemies of anyone who has not bowed their knee. Absolutely. Now, by the way, they will not be your enemies, but you will be theirs. Do you understand the difference? You do not look upon them as enemies. They look upon you as enemies. Because you don't bow where they bow. You don't bow when they say bow. Think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. All of the peoples were gathered around. And I'm sure that's hyperbole, but it would have been a massive crowd. Because those Persians and Medes did not, did not mess around when they said you show up. And that is all this music, you're supposed to bow down to our new God. Everybody bows but three. And in a weird, weird moment of grace, the king goes, I don't think they understood. Let's do that again. How hard would it have been to stand and say, we already have a king. And they're thrown into the fire and their king appears in their fire with them. Then he delivers. He didn't promise he'd deliver us out of fire. But he told, he probably, and the fire leaned over and said, told you. If you do, if you follow me, they are going to hate you or fear you. Because you're not bowing where they bow. And right now, people in America, there's an interminable, interminable presidential election. It never ends. And there are going to be people watching me who believe if you're a Christian, you have to vote for this person. And others, if you're a Christian, you better not vote for that person. You better vote for this person. I want to be very, very, very plain about this. Your political ideas are your political ideas. You're not going to hear politics from here. It, it just will not happen. But I will tell you this. Whether you vote for that person or this person or that person, whether you put up yard signs and put bumper stickers in your car, or even if you do not vote at all, Whatever position you take, love one another, no harm to each other, no mean words to or about each other, no jokes against each other, because we have a king, and that king is over everything, even our politics, period. There are no exceptions. And talking about turning the world upside down, persecution and pain in our kingdoms is no longer a sign of the disfavor of God. You remember, in the book of Job, persecution and pain were assumed by everyone to be signs of God's displeasure with Job. And Jesus is saying, persecution and pain is not a sign of that. Now, he, 
we're not talking about suffering because you made bad decisions. We're not talking about suffering because maybe you were a jerk or because of your interpretation of scripture. Please, please remember that. Remember, he says, blessed are you when you suffer, when people say falsely against you. So it's not just they're talking bad about you. It's got to be false. Your behavior has to be such that it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Like when Jesus, they had to pay people to say bad things about him. They couldn't find people who really had bad things. Live that kind of life. Is that really a high standard? Yeah, that's a pretty high standard. The fact is, this world's all about suffering. Because you now have a different God, and they hate that. They can't own you. Jesus had something to say about that as well. In Matthew chapter 11, chapter 11 and verse 16, um, I actually love this passage. I'm not sure why we don't preach about it more. Jesus looks around at all the, the big hoity-toity. That's a great word, that. All those highfalutin, there's another good word, religious people. And he looks and he goes, how can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in a marketplace, calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't cry. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. In other words, we'll see how this turns out. Jesus is saying, I will not dance to your tune. I will not be bent to your will. I'm the king. I love that passage. Earlier in the chapter, something happened that made Jesus say this. John the Baptist is in prison and he is facing the blade. He knows nobody in Herod's prisons turns out great. It's never a spa weekend. It's going to be horrid because it's Herod. And that's just the way it is. By the way, historians hate Herod. They'll, I, you'll never find a pro-Herod history writing. And that's really, that's fascinating to me. The whole family. Now John's in prison. John sends a message out to them saying, um, is, ask him, is, are you the one or should we wait for another? Now, there are two ways to read that passage, both of them equally valid. One, John's beginning to have doubts. I got to tell you, I want to I prepare you now. If you get a bad diagnosis and you're starting to go and you know you're going to go, it is entirely normal to doubt because you've not done this before. This is a new road. Do not, do not fear that God's going to throw you away because you doubted. No, no, just stay engaged while you doubt. Let other people pray with you before you. Let other people sing. Let them help you through. We all wonder at that stage. I, well, I say we all. I, there are some people, I'm sure, that, that go skippingly, singingly into heaven. But, but most of us have those little moments, right? And it's okay. It's all right. That's one. Or was John the Baptist trying to goad Jesus into action? Going, come on, dude, you're going to work? Or, or do we need just to go get somebody else? Step up. Either way, Jesus turns to people and says, there's never been a better man than John the Baptist. Never. And then he says, 
I don't dance to the tune. None of the religious leaders or of us saying, if you're God, do this. No. He's the king. John the Baptist would die. And immediately as the blade fell upon him, his life got exponentially better. Jesus knew that. John didn't. Sometimes we forget it. The coming of the king does not mean the removal of our troubles. Christians die in accidents. They have miscarriages. They get cancer. They have marriages that implode. And they suffer unjust treatment at the hands of the government, whatever government it is, their neighbors. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. He did not come to make our life easy. And there is no greater cancer in the church than the health and wealth gospel that says if you just follow Jesus, he's going to pour money into your bank accounts and make you healthy. And if he doesn't, it's a sign you're not given enough to me. That's cancerous. It's evil. Jesus died without owning anything. So what did he do wrong? The apostles died horrible deaths. So what did they do wrong? They didn't do anything wrong. They followed their king. And sometimes you follow your king into battle. And sometimes you don't come out of it alive. He, can't, he calls us, however, into a better life. And he wants us to be open about it. We're now salt and light, he says. As I've told you many times before, salt and light are positive forces, which means when you do a chemical, uh, sometimes a physics equation, but certainly in, in chemistry or, and biology, you have to account for the presence or absence of salt and light. Because you, when it's entered, it changes things. You never are neutral. When somebody goes, would you like some salt on your green beans? You have an opinion. If they say, would well, you like to have salt in your ice cream? You have an opinion. You never go, I couldn't care less either way. Nobody says that. Salt and well, light is the same. I read and read a lot. My mother-in-law is a good, holy Christian woman. And she was concerned about me because I didn't always have the amount of light she thought was sufficient for reading. And I'd be reading deep in reading. As Cammie can tell you, I disappear while reading. And she would come and say, you need more light. There's not enough light there. I'm going, no, I'm, I'm good, good. And click. And a 2,000 watt Klieg light just goes off. I see Jesus. I see the saints. I, um, I see the bones in my hands. I had an opinion about light. People are going to have opinions about you. And sometimes, like Acts chapter 2, 3,000 of them are going to run up to you to love you. And sometimes, like Acts chapter 4 and 5, they're going to haul you before the courts and say, you'd better stop this now. Stay the course. The we're going to get a reaction. And by the way, those reactions will sometimes come from those with power over us who stand behind megaphones in our culture and blast their message everywhere. Do not shudder. Do not shy. Do not bow. We have a king. Later we would learn from 1 John chapter 4 verse 8. That perfect love cast out fear. Well do you feel guilty then? Because you still have some fear in. Don't let the devil quote scripture to you. To make you feel little. You, you have a few scriptures you can quote right back at him. If you want to. If you don't know them. I'll send you a list. Always, when he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. You're good. Perfect love only comes from God. Let him work on you, casting out the fear. It's a process, not an event. It's going to take a while. 
Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already said that in different words, you are light and you will stand out. So do good in the name of Jesus so that people will praise your king. A moment before we wrap this up. I preached a long time last week, sorry. I'm, I would promise I'm not going to do that again, but I'm just going to say sorry. Did you notice something very profound in Matthew 5 that happened in the readings between last week and this week? There's a pronoun change. The first, look it up, spend some time with this this week, see what happens. The first 10 verses says they, 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 speaking in general terms about the world, starting in verse 11, you. This is going to have an impact upon the world, which means it's going to have an impact upon you. The coming of this king has direct and startling impact upon the world, and that means everything's going to change for you. You can try to ignore it. You can hide it. You can deny it. Or you can embrace it and walk with the Lord. But remember, especially when the cultural, political, the news, megaphones blast it out, no, I have a king. And I bow before that king. And my duty on this earth, according to him, is to love God with everything I've got. My heart, my soul, my strength, my mind. And to love my neighbors as myself. And who are our neighbors? Well, that question was asked and answered by Jesus when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, which to the Jews they heard, even your worst enemies are your neighbors. Love them. So says the king. And the church says, amen. I found this song by the lyrics. I'd never heard it. Some of you may know it. Um, my wife, who listens to a lot of Christian radio, didn't know it either. And, but I, saw, I found five or six versions of it online, many of them with big orchestras. So that's not going to work. But I love the words of the song. And it also folds in there a slightly different version, different melody of a song we used to sing in Scotland before we baptized people. Because most places didn't have a baptistry. Uh, so if you're on the west coast, you would baptize in the Irish Sea. If you're on the west or the north coast, you'd baptize in the North Sea. If you don't know that, it's cold. It's really cold. I remember one night I got a call there was a winter gale going on, howling, scouring the streets with sleet and wind that was, that was blowing the, the windows like kazoos. And the call was from my co-worker, my friend, Ian Cameron. Ian, I still think about you on this. It had to been, what, 10 o'clock at night or so, and he said, I've been studying with these two girls, I knew the girls, and they want to be baptized Tonight. And I'm not going to lie to you. My first response was, well, Ian, are they really sure? Have you studied with them in great depth and explained? And, and he's going, no, no, they're ready. They're ready. Cammie and I got in the car and drove 20-some treacherous, ice-slicked roads down, miles down. We met them. We drove to the sound of the sea because none of us could see it. And... Uh, I said, Ian, you're, you're the one who taught them. Why don't you baptize them? Uh, I, I still had to get out of the car, mind. 
And we were putting the bright lights out there and running the heaters as fast as we could. And they all went out. Ian only baptized the bottom half. God got the top half when the waves came in. But they got into the car and there was ice in her hair. Uh, trying to, we were rubbing down with towels, got back to the house, and we're, we're blow drying them. But um, before we left the car, we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus.